Welcome back to the Mindful Hunter Podcast. I'm your host as always, Jay Nichol. This week is episode number 20, and we're basically going to do the first episode in my sheep hunt prep series. To be more specific, I'm going to kind of get into kind of my general philosophy on sheep hunting and what I hope to get out of this hunt and go over why I made some of the decisions in regards to how this hunt is going to play out and who I'm going with and all that kind of stuff. With that being said, I don't have a super prepped kind of outlined episode this week. So probably going to be a little bit shorter and probably going to be a little bit more spontaneous. So hopefully it goes all right. If it's boring as shit, my apologies. Also, I've got a fan going. It's kind of hot up in my office right now. Um, Hopefully the background noise isn't too annoying. I think the way I've got everything set up, you shouldn't even be able to hear it. But just in case you can, I wanted to give you a heads up as to what that, the noise in the background was. As always, deeply appreciate the engagement on any of the podcasting platforms that you choose to utilize. Likes, comments, shares, subscribes, all deeply appreciated. I must have said something out of the ordinary last week because I got an unusually high amount of ratings and feedback on the podcast platforms. So I really appreciate that, guys. Um, It means a lot and it helps spread the podcast to more people. We are growing slow but steady. So it definitely seems to be landing for people and people seem to be sharing it, which makes me really happy. You know, you want you want to think that what you're putting out is of value to people and that they, they find it useful and helpful and whatnot. So I'm glad that you guys like what I'm putting out. As always, I'm open for feedback and show ideas. Lots of people have been getting in touch. So if you haven't yet and you've got something you want to share or you want me to cover, please feel free to get in touch. Um, Jay at mindfulhunter.com, Instagram mindful underscore hunter, and YouTube is just mindful hunter. You can hit me up on any of those channels. Looking forward, we have some really cool stuff in the works. Uh, There's a guy on Instagram who goes by the moniker Four Point Outdoors. He's a guy who lives out in Chilliwack. Um, He calls himself a rookie hunter when we were texting the other day. And it's like, the dude's put down some really impressive stuff, especially the blacktail. Um, Blacktail hunting is hard. It is one of the hardest animals to hunt in British Columbia. They're so nocturnal. I've spent a lot of time hunting blacktail. I've been lucky enough to to bag a couple, Um, but he really impresses me. And so I hit him up and, you know, further to that philosophy that I want to get kind of lesser known, just do it yourself, average Joe Hunters on the podcast, because those are the type of the dudes that interest me. And I think they have better stories anyways. So we're going to have him on in the next week or two. And then another really special guest we've got coming on, and this is part of the whole sheep hunt series, which I'll get into in a minute, is my buddy Tim Winslow, who owns Arizona Trophy Outfitters and is also a full-time guide in Alaska. So he spends about a third of the year in Alaska, part of it hunting brown bear and grizzly in the spring, and then the other part hunting doll sheep and moose in the fall, kind of late summer and fall. Dude's been hunting for years. He's a variable font of information, super great guy. He's going to come on the podcast and we're going to talk sheep hunting tactics as well as probably get a few cool hunting stories out of him. So those are two guests that you can expect in the next few weeks. And then maybe what I'll do is give a brief outline of what I'm hoping to do with this kind of sheep prep series. So I'll get into this more later in the episode, but I am going with two other dudes this year and they will be on the podcast as well. 
but I kind of want to cover the mental and psychological components of preparing for a sheep hunt. Having never been on a sheep hunt myself, I'm going to do the best I can to kind of predict what I think that's going to be like and what I need to do to get ready. But obviously there's going to be a bit of a learning curve there. And then as well, all of the kind of functional prep that is required, the gear, the food, the scouting, choosing locations, travel, accommodations, all that shit. And in reference to both those points, I'm going to have a series of guests on who all know more than I do. And each, I'm going to try and have on a guest to focus on kind of each subject matter area. So try and have a guy on who knows about glassing. And then I've already reached out to one dude, but I haven't heard back from him yet. I'd like to get an aging expert on. Apparently there was an unusually high amount of underage rams taken in BC last year. A, I want to ground truth that and see if it's actually true. And then two, I'd like to have this guy on that I messaged. If not, I'll find someone else who's like a legitimate expert in Ram aging. So we can really dig deep into that and what it takes to feel confident pulling the trigger out in the field. And then the same thing with gear and scouting and, you know, all the rest of it, maybe even get a pilot on to talk about what you need to do to prepare to fly in a plane and how you can make things easier for the pilot. So with that being said, if there's a particular aspect of sheep hunting that interests you that you want me to cover, one dude already reached out. It was his idea to have the aging guy on. He's like, I'd really like to know more about aging. And I was like, what a great idea. And I hadn't even thought of that yet. So if there's any particular areas of interest in regards to sheep hunting that you want me to find an expert or you know an expert or you want me to cover, shoot me an email and just let me know. I'm more than happy to do it. And and selfishly, to be honest, this is kind of my opportunity to pick the brains of all these really super high-end dudes um, and only better prepare myself for my own hunt. So that's basically... Between guests and sheep prep, that's kind of what the podcast looks like for the next couple months. Um, and I'll try and mix it up a little bit so it doesn't get too monotonous or too one-sided for too long a, to- a period of time. But um, as always, anything else comes up, let me know. Okay, let's hook into the training and diet section. Now, we're going to take a bit of a different angle on both of these. I had an injury this week, so we're going to cover that under the training section. And I had a bit of a revelation in regards to the whole, if it fits your macros movement and my own metabolism, and we're going to cover that under the dietary episode. So it's going to be like kind of too many talks on those two topics, as opposed to my own training and diet this week. Because to be honest with you, not a whole lot has changed since last week. So let's dive into the injury. So I was doing my backpack cardio. It was kind of later in the afternoon, not any regular time for me to hike at all. The funny thing is my calves had been tight all day, like notably tight. I'm doing a lot of hack squats lately and my ankle flexion, although I think it's fairly good, I think because I'm bringing my feet so far down on the plate so that I can really get a quad focused hack squat movement pattern, I tend to come up on my toes almost like a Tom Platts-esque sissy squat position and it puts a lot of pressure on my calves. And I think it's possible I've almost had like little micro tears going on in my calves from putting so much pressure at the bottom of that movement on my calves. So I'm going to work on that foot positioning. But anyways, calves felt tight all day and I, I knew something wasn't quite right. 
obviously being the meathead that I am, I did nothing about it. So I, I put my backpack on, I put my boots on, I do the hike and my calves feel like guitar strings, the whole hike, like literally every step is like twang, twang, twang. And I'm getting these little electric shocks, but I just keep saying to myself, "Ah, it'll work itself out. And what's funny is normally I get like a calf slash shin pump five to seven minutes into my hike and I have to stop and stretch out my, my calves and kind of give it a minute or two and then they feel better. I didn't even do that this week. So I'm almost exactly halfway through the hike. I'm up the stairs. I'm through the worst parts. I'm coming up the little back incline section and I stopped to let my dog take a drink of water out of the ditch. And then I just turned and I took one step and it felt like somebody undid a zipper in my calf. Like it went and immediately I was just like, shit, I know what that is. It wasn't painful in the moment. So worst case scenario, I was like, I've just torn a tendon. But then I pick up my foot and I'm able to move my ankle through 360 degrees of rotation. So I'm like, okay, everything is still attached. So this might be bad, but it's not horrific. Try to take a couple steps. Can't walk. Instant pain shooting up my calf. As soon as I put any tension under flexion, So think about when you push off on the ball of your foot and stand up on your toes as you're walking, that movement hurts. As long as my weight is on my heel, I'm fine. So I'm like, okay, this is a deal. We've definitely injured something here. So I stop, I sit down, and I just gently start feeling around my calf. And I can very clearly feel one area that's like, notably tender and I can see a little bit of swelling. However, there's no bruising. And again, I have full range of motion. So everything's attached. So I, I get up and I try and walk back uphill, take three steps. And I'm like, no, can't do this. Walking uphill is significantly worse than walking downhill. Cause every time I take a step up, I have to lift up my toes that hurts. Then I put my weight down on my toes and that hurts even worse. And I'm as far from the truck as I could possibly be right now. And there's no road access anywhere. So starting to get a little bit stressed out at this point, got the dog with me. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to turn around. At least I can walk downhill. Long story short, I kind of had to limp slash hobble all the way down. Took me about an hour and a half. Should have taken you know, 40 minutes if, um, pretty painful on the way down, but not excruciating. Like I was able to get it done. You know what I mean? However, by the time I got to the truck, calf was notably swollen, like puffy, firm to the touch, you know, much bigger than the other calf. I'm wondering if I'm going to be able to drive at this point because it's my pedal foot. My right foot is the one that's injured. I'm able to drive no problem. I get all the way home. And as soon as I get home, I, I ice it hard, like lots of ice, really cold, 20 minutes, probably do that two or three times over the next four hours. I mean, it's hurting really bad at this point. And anytime that I elevate it or, or rest it, when I go to step down on it, like the whole leg is just useless. So I'm kind of stressing out at this point because I'm like, how bad 
is this. Now, as you know before, I've experimented with two different peptides, TB500 and BPC157, which are particularly good at healing tears. So I still had some of those left around the house. And I think I used, so I injected five milligrams of TB500 and 400 milligrams of BPC-157 before going to bed and iced it. And to my genuine surprise, I woke up in the morning and it wasn't that bad. Uh, I definitely had a limp. I definitely wasn't going to be like jogging or doing backpack cardio in the next few days. That's for sure. This happened four days ago. It's gotten notably better every day. I'm kind of back to almost walking normal. I think it'll be at least a week before I do a serious leg day where I'm doing any type of compound pressing movement or at least a week until I do any backpack cardio. And I'm thinking I'll probably do the trail once or twice just with no weight, just to kind of stiff, um, strengthen my calf back up. There's very slight bruising has just started to appear kind of yesterday and today. So I think my kind of layman's diagnosis is that I had a pretty minor intramuscular tear. I don't think I tore a tendon. Um, I think I just, I think I had really tight calves. I think I didn't warm up properly. And I think with the additional 50 pounds on my back, uh, I just put too much pressure on it and it just let go and I had a minor rip. So a relatively cheap lesson, if you think about it, because it scared the shit out of me. If something like this had happened and it had have been as severe as I thought it was initially, let's say a week before my sheep hunt, I would be fucked. I would not be going on that hunt. And I realized that I'm really lazy when it comes to any type of self-care, when it comes to like stretching, mobility, flexibility, warm-ups, cool-downs. I do nothing. Like I'm the dude who walks in the gym and I've always believed in just a couple light sets to get warmed up, but I do no real warm-ups of any kind. I don't warm up before I hike, none of it. And this was a really big wake-up call for me. So I'm going to start implementing 15 minutes a day kind of soft tissue work with foam rollers and the percussive massager and all that kind of stuff. And it's just going to be mandatory. I don't know. I'm a routine guy, so I got to figure out where I want to put it, whether it's in the morning or the evening. Middle of the day is kind of tricky because my schedule can be all over the place, but I got to figure out where that's going to go. And it's got to be like non-negotiable. I got to do it every day. And then I'm also going to implement uh, pretty basic warm-up routines uh, before I start hiking. So if you guys want or are interested, let me know and I can post little videos on Instagram of what I do. Luckily, from my personal training background and kind of educational background, I'm, I feel pretty comfortable writing those types of programs for myself. So once I've done that, if you guys are interested, let me know and I'll post some videos to my Instagram. I don't like posting workout videos because I think they're kind of douchey unless you're like a legitimate pro. Um, But this kind of more functional stuff, I think has an educational purpose. So I'm more than happy to share that kind of stuff on my social media platforms. So yeah, that's that. Fucked up, didn't pay enough attention, got complacent. And I was lucky that it was as minor as it was because it could have been way worse. All right, up next kind of diet planning and if it fits your own macros. So 
I-I-F-Y-M. You'll see that acronym all over the place. If it fits your macros. It's kind of made really popular by Lane Norton and a couple other guys. They basically say a calorie is a calorie as far as a macro goes. So where your carbs come from don't matter as much as the number of, of carbs that you have. So if you have a diet and you are supposed to intake 600 grams of carbs, 100 grams of fat, and 300 grams of protein, it kind of doesn't matter. You could eat a chocolate bar to get some of your carbs and fat, and you could drink a whey protein shake or eat tuna or have a steak to get some of your protein. Protein is a little bit less contentious because there's not really any, for lack of a better term, unhealthy sources of protein. It's pretty hard. Um, I guess protein with a lot of fat, but then you're already, the way that kind of filters itself out is that you do have to still hit your fat macros. But anyways, if it fits your macros kind of stipulates that it doesn't matter what the sources are as long as you hit the numbers every day. I've always kind of believed in a blended version of a set diet plan with if it fits your own macros. The reason I don't do pure if it fits your macros is it's like it's a pain in the ass because everything you eat, you have to like plug into my fitness pal or or whatever to figure out exactly how many calories is that was in. So you know where we're at during the day. So it's a very cognitively taxing dietary model. Whereas a traditional bodybuilder style diet where you have five to six meals a day, they're all planned out. You're only eating four or five different ingredients. Way simpler. You have to think way less. And as a general rule, simpler plans are more successful. The less you have to think, the more likely you'll succeed. So I tend to like it simpler. However, so the benefit of doing a blended approach is that you can introduce some variety. So you could plan on five to six of the same meals every day, but then when you get to meal three or four, you're out on the road, you don't have something with you. A sub from Subway would be really common for me. I would go to Subway, get a sub, calculate the macros and just incorporate that or take any in that into account when recognizing what I need to eat for the rest of the day. And I would, I, I've done that pretty much as long as I can remember. And then I was going back and looking at some old pictures and I've never been a shredded guy by any stretch of the imagination, never had a chiseled six pack in my life. And I was going back and looking at some check-in pictures from when I was working with Ditto and there's basically like this two month period when we first started working together. And it was the strictest I'd ever been on my diet by far. I'd never had a coach before. So I was like, whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do. We got zero cheat meals for like the first three weeks. It was really intense. And I was looking at the pictures and I'm like, holy shit, man, I'm legitimately cut up in, in these pictures. And I was still eating a lot of food, but it was all on my diet. And I started thinking, I'm like, and this is where like science and results differ sometimes. There's pretty clear consensus that it should not matter where your carbohydrates come from to a certain degree. But essentially three weeks ago, I said to myself, okay, I am going to be ultra strict again. No more, a little bit of it fits your own macros. Like I, I'm going to match the diet perfectly. I'm only going to use ingredients that I'm allowed on my diet, <clears throat> complex carbohydrates, very low in sugars, 
very low in saturated fats, almost no dairy, and goes super clean and and super strict. And it's I started noting and 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 going back to like just one cheat meal and not a cheat day, not a half day where I could fuck off and do whatever I want, like a legitimate meal, like burger and fries, followed up with a dessert. That's the only thing off plan and only that once a week. So I did that for two, two and a half weeks, almost instantly started to notice a change in my physique, started carrying less water, started to feel a little more full, started to feel a little bit tighter. Everything just like looked and felt a little bit better. So, and there's, there's so many variables here. I don't want to draw any firm conclusions and say that if it fits your macros is bullshit and it doesn't work because I think there's a place for it depending on what your your goals are. But what I can say unequivocally is that for two different time periods, almost two years apart under similar supplement and training protocols, when I hardcore stuck to a clean diet, even when that diet was above maintenance calories, when the ingredients were only thing like rice, potatoes, clean meat, um, good veggies, cream of rice, grits, eggs, egg whites, like typical clean bodybuilder foods, I noticed a distinct difference in my physique and how I felt like my energy and my mood levels when I went that clean in that firm. So that was a big takeaway for me. I think I was kind of talking myself into, basically I was using science to justify my laziness, okay? Because because science says this should work on paper, that was enough justification for me to do it. But now that I've run these two experiments, it is definitely not the optimal way to eat for my particular body. I don't have a particularly fast metabolism, which is beneficial for putting on size, not beneficial for for staying particularly lean. So I would argue that if you have a faster metabolism, it probably doesn't matter nearly as much. Um, So anyways, that's a little dietary takeaway from this week. I, I get better results from a really clean, strict diet than I do from if it fits your own macros. Also, I've noticed psychologically once I got back over the kind of one cheat meal per week, um, I really started looking forward to it again, and I didn't feel like snacking at all the rest of the week. Um, to be fully transparent, we did sell our house last night, and I did treat me and my daughter to some pizza, and that was on a Wednesday night, but I didn't go hardcore. I didn't eat a whole pizza, and I kept things pretty moderate. Because, like, let's face it, I'm not a professional, and life is still life. And I think you still need to take a moment to celebrate, you know, the wins. And it was a really big deal to sell this place. And I think that's a justification. I don't need a justification to celebrate. It's a good reason. So, and that's the other thing when, when you're strict and and firm with your diet, then when things do come up, it's like guilt-free, fuck it, man, I'm gonna eat some pizza. It's like, it's a one-off thing. No big deal. Um, felt great and felt awesome this morning because the extra carbs and a little bit of extra fat, um, filled me right up and I feel I feel awesome. As I just mentioned, we also sold the house. So that's really good news. So everything should be slowly coming back to normal 
If you guys are watching this on video, you'll notice none of my mounts are still up and I'm not going to bother putting them back up because we're only here for another three months and then we're moving to the new place. So I should be able to do regular content again, no problem. And then kind of mid-July, things will get a bit squirrely because we're going to get ready to move into the new place. But that's super exciting. I got into that last week. I'm excited about building a YouTube studio. I'm excited about building out my workshop so I can do more tutorials. Super excited about the kitchen and I can do cooking videos again. Lots of great reasons to be excited, not the least of which is that my family finally has a full house. Um, my daughter has a big backyard to play. The dog will be more happy. He's going to have more room. Big win all across the board. Okay, that's aside. Let's talk sheep hunting. So like I said, I don't have any notes for this. I just wanted to kind of break down what my approach has been and some of my thoughts and musings and all that kind of stuff. So let's start right at the beginning. I realized once I started planning this hunt that I kind of did things ass backwards. For a variety of reasons, I kind of got fascinated with elk early on and I've spent more time chasing elk than any other animal by far. Um, and I love hunting elk. But I would not say BC has like particularly great elk hunting. Now, there are definitely some locations that have phenomenal elk. There are some diehard guys who, who tag out on elk every year and they've got their spots and they, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. I'm not going to say BC is a bad place to go hunting elk. But when you compare it to some of the Western states, they're just far superior opportunities to hunt elk than British Columbia. Where British Columbia excels is in the more mountain species. Like you would, other than Alaska, there's no other place on earth where you have as much opportunity to hunt sheep and goat as you do in BC. And I'm talking like over-the-counter tags, places where you can walk in, you don't need jet boats, you don't need planes, Dudes are getting it done on foot every year. Our seasons are really long. Our tags are really cheap. We got a shitload of, of public land out in the mountains. So the reason I say I did things kind of backwards is that because I'm from BC, I spent all this time hunting an animal that I would not say BC has a competitive advantage for. And I kind of ignored these species that I would have had a competitive advantage for hunting in BC. And that's just, I didn't do that consciously. I didn't ignore sheep and mountain goat on purpose. It was just kind of the way things played out. And the thing that's even more interesting for me is that I, I historically have had a very hard time finding elk and deer hunts that resonate with me because I like the extreme backcountry. And here's the fact of the matter, especially in the, most of the Western states, there's not a lot of elk and deer in extreme backcountry like locations. Most of the places where you go are pretty heavily trailed and you're never really going to get more than five to 10 or 11 miles from the truck. Like it's not crazy. And that's because that's just where the animals are. That's how the units play out. That's where you have access to. Like it's just, that's just the way it is. So it's always... I almost made it even harder for myself to get those extreme backcountry hunts by choosing the species to hunt, which I did. Now, when it comes to sheep and goat, it's almost the complete opposite. They live in the worst places imaginable. So 
by definition, you have to go to these extreme backcountry locations to hunt them, which, as I've just expressed, is exactly the type of hunts I've always been looking for. So, yeah, I couldn't help but, you know, it's somewhat ironic that I that I did things the way that I did, but I didn't have some kind of master plan. It's just the way things worked out naturally. So with all of that being said, I'm very excited now that I kind of get to approach... Sorry, somebody just came in downstairs and there's a bunch of noise and a dog's running around. I'm very excited about the potential because I think I'm transitioning into the kind of more mountainous, deep, deep, deep backcountry kind of part of my hunting journey or evolution, whatever you want to call it. Um, So yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So I wanted to share it. So there was a couple things that really contributed to this decision, not the least of which was COVID. I probably would have been put in, see, here's the reason I never go sheep hunting is because the elk rut is like the last two weeks of September. My wife is fine for me going away for that, but going away for another two week hunt, which it would have to be to go for a sheep within four to six weeks of that elk rut is really inappropriate. Like it's just, it would be asking a lot of my wife and I don't think that's right. So because I've always gone on an elk rut hunt, I've never had the opportunity or the timing to go on a sheep hunt. But coming into even last year, I I said to myself, I'm not doing an over-the-counter elk hunt in BC again. It's just the competition is too steep. There's no good bow seasons. You need some type of transportation like a jet boat or horses to be competitive. Um, And... Yeah, it just wasn't a hunt that I enjoyed. So I was like, I need to find something else that I can do at home for next fall. And that's when I was like, okay, this year is the year for sheep. So when I first started, plus it it, it also helped that I was doing that goat hunt um, in February, which gave me an opportunity to test a lot of gear and go in a little deeper and a little longer through a little bit more severe circumstances. Like it was, that was all part of the kind of master plan. So I knew I wanted to hunt sheep. Now, there's really only a couple major areas in British Columbia where you can hunt sheep. And I'm not going to talk specifically about where I was thinking of going or where I'm going now. But essentially, let's just say the Northeastern Rockies. That's, you know, vague enough that we can, we can, we can say that. And it's, everybody knows where I'm talking about without knowing where I'm talking about. So I knew I wanted to go to the Northeastern Rockies because I'd been up that way for other animals a couple times before, and I just kind of felt comfortable. I'd be able to look on a map and kind of know things, where things are in relation to other things. As you know, I really enjoy solo hunting. So my plan was always this like crazy solo sheep hunt. Probably wouldn't get a sheep, but I would have this like really insane adventure. And after going back and forth with a bunch of different options, I, it really, walking in was really landing. So the, the original plan was I'm going solo and I'm walking in. Because I thought if I don't have any, you know, insider information that tells me one unit is any better than another unit, I might as well have a really good adventure. And I might as well have the oper- the option of leaving and going to another area. And the thing is, if you get dropped off in a jet boat or you get dropped off in a plane, you're kind of locked into the spot you go. Now, you do have some options. Like one option I considered was getting dropped off at one lake and then potentially getting picked up at another lake 
and I could traverse through a, a mountain range in glass as I went. I played around with a bunch of different options, decided just makes more sense to hike in. So that's kind of where I was at. And then back in like late January, early February, I was texting with this guy on Instagram and he was, we'd never met, but he was a hunter similar to myself, really enjoyed the backcountry, pretty experienced, but still learning also, not like some crazy vet who's killed 20 rams. And we basically, you know, told each other without telling each other that we were kind of thinking about walking into the same, around the same place and, and kind of just left it at that. It was just an interesting conversation. And then late February, after I put my, my goat hunt up, he got back in, in contact and he said, listen, I kind of came across some information. I'm, I, I, I've just, I'm changing my plans, going to do a fly-in hunt. I got one buddy already coming with me. We've talked about it for a variety of reasons. We think three guys would be ideal. Do you want to, do you want to come hunt sheep with us? Um, and I, and I thought about it a little bit, called my buddy Lander and, I thought, you know what? I do want to go hunt shoot with these guys. And it was a bit of a difficult decision for me to make because I get hung up on the whole like, you know, masculine ego. I said I was going to do this solo. I said I was going to walk in. Am I bitching out? Am I making this easier for myself? And then anyways, I went through this whole kind of like inner mental dialogue about, you know, what are the real reasons why I'm doing this? And the, the interesting about this is you'll never really know why you make the decisions that you do. You hope you have this kind of motivational honesty or honesty about your motivations. And the more I thought about it, I realized, one, I don't know how to hunt sheep. Now, the guys I'm going with, they haven't killed a sheep yet either, but the one guy has been on six sheep hunts and, he, and he's spent some time with some really credible sheep hunters. So even though I know nothing about sheep hunting, this dude knows way more than I do. So I was like, I don't know anything about sheep hunting. So going with some other guys who are more experienced than I am, and they do have kind of an edge on a location. Now, listen, you got to take all tips with a grain of salt, especially in BC, but where it is, we have somewhat reliable that a general area would be a good place to go start. So that's where we're going to go. So that's the other thing. I had no idea where I was going to go. Um, I was just picking spots on maps. So that was another point in, in that favor. And then the second thing is, or the third thing is, the filming aspect. So I do all these solo hunts. And I think I do a pretty decent job at capturing the story and making them visually interesting but it's really restrictive from a creative standpoint. Like I never get the chance to take a picture of anybody else. Nobody else ever gets the chance to take a picture of me. I never get the chance to interview anybody else or film other people doing the things that you do when we're hunting. So it's always either like GoPro footage of me doing something or me holding the camera at vlog style and just talking to it. And I do my best to kind of interweave those two components back and forth and make it as interesting as possible. But like I said, it's really restrictive. So then I started thinking, well, you know, how great would this be? Like I can actually, cause I love hunting, but I also love filming hunts. So now not only can I go on a hunt, but I can actually film a sheep hunt, like other dudes 
hunting sheep. And I, you know, I'm sure by the end of the first day or two, I can give these guys some primers on, on my gear. And that way I can get, you know, in some of the footage. And I think there's also the whole companionship. Like I do a lot of stuff by myself and I, and I like that, but I think it's also good for me to like get out, know some more people, share some experiences with, with other dudes and have it be just less of a personal journey and, and more of a kind of group fellowship experience. So anyways, all, that was all the stuff that was kind of running through my head. And eventually I decided, yeah, I think this is a, this is a great idea. So that's what we're going to do. So said, yeah, if you guys are down, let's do it. So we've, we had a zoom call together just to see like, do we even, you know, like each other? Are we going to be able to do this? And we seemed to hit it off and everybody was kind of got along with each other. And then we went and did a backpack hike and it pissed rain and it was kind of funny. And it was like, okay, I, like I can definitely get along with these guys. Like, um, these are my kind of people. Um, so, so that's the general game plan. We're going to, we're going to fly in now. Um, there's going to be three of us, not just one. We're going to go kind of mid-August and we're going to go for two weeks total. So that'd be like from the time we leave Vancouver to the time we come back to Vancouver will be two weeks. And hopefully we'll have like 11 or 12 hunting days after travel and fly-ins and, and, and all the rest. So I will, I'll get into much more detail about kind of all the other elements of of the sheep hunt and kind of what our preparation is going to be. I'll make sure to have those two guys on probably even for a couple episodes. Cause I'd like to do a kind of gear prep episode and then maybe just like a background episode. They both have really interesting backgrounds. They come at hunting from totally different places. One dude kind of grew up into it. The other dude kind of came into it later in life. Um, but they're both pretty hardcore guys. So as the season develops and as we get closer to the hunt, I'll cover more of that. I just kind of wanted to set the context as to what the sheep hunt was going to look like and why I made the decisions that I made. The, the funny part about it is everybody goes, for, for most people, I think it's this really psychologically intimidating thing. Like a sheep hunt is supposed to be the hardest of all the hunts. And I, I don't want to take anything away from that. And I'll, I'll probably, you know, have my own reckoning to deal with once I get out there. But I do feel that with my background and all the other hunting I've done, there's no real major surprises for me here. I'm excited to go, but I'm not nervous in any way, shape or form. But I am excited about going as deep as we are for as long as we are. Um, that's going to be pretty exciting. So, Yeah. That's about all I got for this week. Just wanted to give you guys some background information, set up the sheep hunt series moving forward, and just kind of lay the groundwork for what we're going to cover over the next couple of months. As always, any questions, comments, or concerns, hit me up, jay at mindfulhunter.com, Instagram, mindful underscore hunter, or YouTube, mindful hunter. Thanks for tuning in.